for Tuesday, July 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and once again, we are coming to you from Boulder, Colorado, from historic Chautauqua Park. Now, we're stepping away from the day's news a bit, so if something big goes down on Tuesday, rest assured that Chris Hill will talk about it on Wednesday. But I am very, very pleased to be joining by Motley Fool analyst, Tim Byers. Tim, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks, Mac. It's good to be back. Tim, as I mentioned, we're going to step away from the day's news a bit. Yep. We're going to do a bit of a mid-year review. Sure. We're a little past the halfway point of 2019. Yep. So a good time to take inventory. We're going to talk about some of the big surprises, some of the big disappointments, overhyped stories, overlooked stories, trends to watch. And as always, of course, we are going to name some names. Yes. Let's give the people some stocks. Yes. Red meat. There Red meat. Go. Red meat, Tim. And let's begin with your headline for 2019 so far. You know, I'm tired of hearing that uh, the IPO market is so hot, it's 1999 all over again. It is not 1999 all over again. Why is it not 1999? Because there are no sock puppet IPOs. You that's know, a good thing. You know, that's right. That it's a good thing. For those who don't know that reference, that's pets.com. Go look it up on YouTube. Uh, but that company, there were many companies that came out in 1999 that were born within a year, uh, just business models invented out of thin air and then taken public into this ridiculous IPO market. That's not happening right now. The number of companies and the number of the quality companies that are coming out uh, are, are immense. Zoom and, and Slack are just two, but there are a lot of them. Okay, well, let's let's we said we we're going to name some names. You just named Zoom and Slack. So let's take those in order. Zoom. Recent IPO. Yep. Um, just featured Tom Gardner, Motley Fool CEO. Tom yes. Gardner's interview with the CEO of Zoom yes. on our Motley Fool Money Radio Show. What do you think about Zoom? I, I love Zoom. I, I think it's one of the best businesses uh, in this market right now, and it's certainly one of the top businesses coming out in in uh, 2019. Here's why: This company was founded in 2011. And it's based on fundamentally different technology. The way Zoom describes it is video first. And what that means is, I mean, Mac, you're, you're an AV guy, you know, so uh, you know that audio data and video data are very different. Zoom is built to handle video data natively. It's not like Skype, which was built to handle audio and then was made to handle video. It was sort of adjusted. That's not the way Zoom was built. And because of that, Zoom delivers an exceptional experience and they have some very big name clients. They're growing very quickly. Uh, I really like this business a lot. I think they have a technical competitive advantage because of focusing on video first. Okay, and you also mentioned Slack. What do you think about Slack, another recent IPO? So Slack, I like a lot. Um, Slack gets known for uh, trying to replace email. And I think to a degree it's doing that, certainly doing that for me, like Slack is my raid. We and use it here at The Motley Fool. We, we used it to trade notes and yeah. thoughts on our show preparation. Yeah, and, and it's fantastic for that. I am trying to use it to get rid of email. It, like I said, it's, it's like my raid and, and the, the email are, are, are the roaches, and I, I'm just trying to get rid of it. Uh, Slack is very good for that. Um, it also has an ecosystem. There's a lot of different apps that plug into Slack that make it more productive. And it's also a stock that came out and didn't really take off right away. And that's because it's a direct listing. And what that means is that they list their shares directly on the New York Stock Exchange. The NYSE did a little due diligence, and it allows them to sell stock directly to URI instead of using a banker 
to buy up a bunch of shares and then resell them and create a lot of artificial demand to prop up the stock price. That didn't happen here. And so stock is, the stock is still relatively cheap. It's, it's a business that's moving in the right direction. It's got the wind at its back and it has, um, Slack is one of those businesses that has very few customers like us who pay for it on a big scale. So there's a lot of runway of turning, you know, customers who use this for free into paying customers as they grow. And Tim, let's move on to what you would consider the biggest surprise of 2019 so far. I think it's Microsoft. And and I know we've talked about this, right? Like Microsoft, um, I, 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 in fact, I think, uh, not to not to call out Chris Hill, but I think Chris Hill actually laughed at me when I said Microsoft is cool again, <laughs> as if Microsoft was ever cool. And and in fact, um, you know, look where we are now. This stock has gone to the moon, and I think it's partially because people really have faith in Satya Nadella, and I think there's good reason for that. He has made Microsoft into a company that will choose the best technology for developers, no matter who makes it, in order to make a better experience for customers and for developers. That's a huge advantage, and it's very different. And what strikes me about Nadella is that he doesn't seem like he has a lot of ego. Right. And that is a huge strategic advantage because, Tim, if you don't have a lot of ego and you have that humility, then it tells me that you're going to look at the business and say, if this isn't working, we're going to stop doing it. Right. You're not invested in it. Your ego's not invested in it. Right. And you're willing to move on and you're going to double down on what works, but you're not going to just stubbornly cling to stuff that's not working and you know who you are. Right. Yes, exactly. And and Microsoft has done that. There's a, a technology called Kubernetes, which um, we won't get into. It, it's very complicated. It's developer centric. But basically, this is open source technology that Google has backed relentlessly for um, making development easier on an enterprise scale with things called containers. And the bottom line is that there's two things that would typically, Microsoft of the past would say like, there's no way we're using this. First, Google's backing it. Second, it's open source, so we can't control it. But guess what? You know, when Satya Nadella heard from developers that the stuff that they were making that was like kind of like their own version of Kubernetes was not catching on, he said, you know what? Scrap our stuff take Kubernetes, let's put it in Azure, let's let people use it however they want. And let's move on to what you consider the biggest disappointment of 2019 so far. It's got to be Apple. It has to be. I mean, Apple, I, I, I get that Apple is a, a megalith of a business, but it is a shadow of its former self. But it's a huge shadow. It I is mean, a huge everyone's shadow. got their iPhones. Right. Everyone's got those new little thingies in their ears that goes with the iPhone <laughs> right. that drives me nuts. Right. So, I mean, that's a pretty nice shadow, isn't it? It is, but here's the problem. Um, we've always thought of Apple as the company that innovates and leads in, in design, but that doesn't seem to be happening anymore. And I don't think it's going to happen again anytime soon because Johnny Ive, who has been the architect of so much of Apple's greatest wins over the past really 15 years, the iPhone, the iPad, um, the iMac, you know, all of these really great, well-designed products, he's leaving the company. And the only reason for him to leave the company is because he's, he's done. Like he feels like he's done the things that he was going to do as chief designer at Apple. And that, that's a scary proposition if you're an investor. But they'll still be a client of his. Yes, they will. And, but that's different, right? Like I was a fool contractor for, for years and it's different 
I, I've always loved The Motley Fool. I've been here for a really long time. I've been writing forever. But it's a fundamentally different thing to be a contractor where you have a handshake relationship and an, an employee where, you know, you and I are at Chautauqua Park and doing some, you know, we're going deep into these businesses and, and having fun. And it's just it's just a different style. And so with, with Ive on the outside, I fear for Apple's innovative capacity. Okay, so for Apple to get their mojo back, it's not about the iPhone and it's not about growing the services business? It, it is, but those things will lead to higher dividends. It'll lead to higher cash flows. Apple is a terrific income stock right now, meaning that they've got a lot of cash on the balance sheet. They generate a lot of cash. They've got two really big cash cows in the iPhone and the Mac product line. But what they're trying to do is become more of a content company with TV shows, with um, you know music, and, and podcasts and other sorts of things. That's a business where they, they haven't done a lot of innovation and they don't lead in those businesses. So it's, it's a bit of a stretch, I think. Okay, Tim, what is your most overhyped story of 2019 so far? I think that we're giving Elon Musk too much airtime, um, to, to be quite frank. If we're surprised at this point that this guy has an ego, you know, the, the size of the state of Montana, you know, we, we are, we're, we're kidding ourselves, right? Yeah. So, and, and, you know, he has a, a Colorado sized boulder on his shoulder, not a chip. So if, if, if we know that already, why are we freaking out over every single tweet? Quit making that a story. Quit making that a story. That's not a story anymore. We know that the price of Tesla potentially reinventing the electrical supply chain and the energy supply chain in this country uh, is Elon Musk's ego. I mean, and we and we know that, and that's priced in. But to what extent do you think his ego gets in the way of that, or do you have to take the ego with the visionary part of Elon Musk as well? Or for for Tesla shareholders, should I be concerned that his ego at times seems to be a bit out of whack? You should be concerned. I think that's a fair concern. But I also think that you go into that. You go into owning Tesla shares knowing that. So if, you, if you're going in knowing that, the, the thing you do as an investor to minimize your portfolio risk is say, hey, look, I know that Elon Musk could blow this up. So I'm not going to dedicate, I'm not going to over allocate capital to Tesla knowing that Elon Musk's ego could blow this thing apart. But the potential upside is enormous. Okay, so let's move on to the overlooked story of 2019. What do you think? I think the overlooked story of 2019 is Amazon buying up the subscription box businesses. There's a lot of subscription box businesses. This was the knock on Stitch Fix. And I'm talking about Stitch Fix here because one of the reasons Stitch Fix stock has taken a beating over the past year, now it's recovering a bit. And they and Stitch Fix, just to clarify, they deliver clothes and you right. get to pick the ones you like and send back the ones you don't. Yes, and and so that that's a subscription box business. And so a lot of subscription box businesses have done very poorly. And so in order to disrupt this, what Amazon has started doing is picking up some of these businesses and offering them kind of a lifeline and saying, hey, look, give us your customer list, let us fulfill you know, or, or let us, you know, let us sell, sell on our platform, but we're going to control the customer. We're going to control the relationships. You're going to fulfill the orders. And, and that puts them in control. It's a way for Amazon to profit from other people's work, which they're really, really good at. 
and um, you would think that that would be a real problem for for Stitch Fix because the rest of these box companies are really having trouble, and yet they're not. Stitch Fix is growing very; they're growing meaningfully. Uh, you know, uh, revenue, average revenue per active customer was up about eight percent in the latest quarter. It's the fourth quarter in a row it's been up. Um, they seem to be retaining both their men's and women's customers at a very high rate, particularly their most premium customers, the customers who pay for what's called the Style Pass, which is essentially Stitch Fix's version of Amazon Prime. Uh, and there are a lot of people that play this game that's called Style Shuffle on your iPhone. It's basically Tinder for clothes. <laughs> you, know, you, you decide what you like, and Stitch Fix uses that data to give you better information about uh the kinds of styles you might like and it it is it's working this is a company that i have argued in the past is a data company that is valued as a clothing company and i think the stats are starting to bear that out you mentioned tinder for clothes i play my own version of that i go to costco and i just <laughs> pick out what i like yeah yeah union union bay for matt greer union bay cargo shorts are coming back in <laughs> Okay, so how about um, a trend you're watching here around the halfway point in 2019? I think open source is is changing a little bit. I think the companies that are doing the most in, in open source, like MongoDB, are protecting their IP a little bit more. And I expect them to be a little more assertive about this. Here's the best example. So earlier this year, Amazon came out with a product called DocumentDB. And DocumentDB was essentially... For lack of, I mean, it's not quite this simple, but to simplify it, it's basically a MongoDB clone. They took the the open source version of MongoDB. Um, basically, like if you think of a database as a car, the cockpit is like the front of the API. So like, hey, you know, I've got this steering wheel, I have these brakes, you know. So like the API is that cockpit. It's very familiar. So basically Amazon took that and then made their own like suspension underneath and did all this stuff. But to do that, so MongoDB saw this coming. They knew they were going to be copied, and they modified their open source license so that anything that Amazon invented that was new using their newest, most fanciest cockpit would have to be shared with the entire open source community. So Amazon, because they're smart, went with the older version of MongoDB that wasn't subject to that license and then built DocumentDB around that. The point is that in order to protect their IP from Amazon and, and others coming in and stealing their proprietary work and then reselling it as their own, they've kind of taken some more aggressive steps. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. So is it fair to assume that you're bullish on MongoDB? Very much so. I, I think that was, some, that was a step that they needed to take to separate themselves from, from Amazon and others. And they're still very, they're very popular with developers. I love MongoDB. Yeah. And Tim, as we wrap up here, final question. How about one big company that you still like here in 2019? Disney. I, I think Disney Plus is getting a lot of traction. Um, even though it hasn't launched yet, the enthusiasm for this is, is palpable. And you can see it. And there's been a few studies around this. But one from Morgan Stanley said they did, they did some work on this and found that uh, the likely membership base for Disney Plus in 2024 is 130 million. I know that's a huge number. That's a huge number. And they, they also predicted at the same time that Netflix at that time would get to 280 million. So it's not a zero sum game. But if you take those two 
and then you add in maybe a player like Roku that's doing over the top advertising driven, but also on demand TV. Uh, I think the cable business, uh, it, cord cutting has been real for years, but this may be the year that we're seeing. I get to choose what I get to watch and nobody gets to, you know, nobody puts baby in a corner. Nobody, <laughs> <laughs> nobody gets to tell me what I have to watch and what commercials I, I, I am going to see. Uh, and, and that's a meaningful shift. And I think it's really good for Disney. Okay, Tim. So I'm conflicted here though, cause I'm a Netflix shareholder Yep, and I'm a Disney shareholder. Sure. And I watched the first episode of Stranger Things season three last night. Yep. Um, loved it, of course. But if Disney, if Disney plus is a huge runaway hit, yes. as you, as you suggest, yep. let's say it wildly surpasses expectations over the next five years. Yes. Is there room for both Disney and and Netflix to be market-beating stocks. I'm not talking about the service. Right. Because I probably very well may have both services still. Sure. I'm talking about the stocks. If I'm a shareholder, does one company's success come at the expense of another company's? I don't think so because if you look at the way the entertainment industry is designed right now, it's not worldwide. It's still very provincial. And I think that's changing. I think Netflix is changing that by being in you know, 190 countries. Disney Plus is potentially going to be in 150 company, 150 countries. And because of that, you're going to have direct relationships with these consumers that they've never had direct relationships with before. And I think that offers a lot of avenue for growth. Now, Disney is about a $250 billion company. So to double, it has to get to $500 billion. But I think when you look at the market as not, you know, the United States, but you look at it as the world, then yes, both these companies have a lot of room to grow. Okay, Tim, time for the desert island question. You're on a desert island. Yep. And for some reason, you're picking stocks. I don't know. Just yeah. go with it. Okay. <laughs> for the next five years, if you can only own one of these stocks, what are you going with? Zoom, Slack, Microsoft, Amazon, MongoDB, Apple, or Disney? I'm going to go with Zoom because I love the economics of Zoom and I love the founder, Eric Yuan. It's, it's usually a really great sign. And by the way, I feel this way about MongoDB too. Uh, when a founder solves their own problem with a, a company that they create and the technology they create, it's a really good sign. And Eric Yuan did that by, you know, he used to go 10 hours on a train across China to visit his girlfriend who became his wife and, Part of this was like, there is no telecommuting technology where he could, you know, see his girlfriend at the time. This became very personal for him to build something, which he did build it at WebEx, which got sold to Cisco. And then he knew there was a better way. He tried to sell that to Cisco. Cisco said no. And he went forth and built Zoom. So it's personal. It's better. It's engaging to customers. And there's so much room left to grow that I think Zoom is the one you go with. Tim Byers from historic Chautauqua Park at the foot of the Flatirons in Boulder, Colorado. If this isn't the greatest place on earth, then it's top three in my very, very humble non-Elon Musk opinion. It ranks higher than Costco? <sighs> don't, don't make me make that choice. <laughs> that is so unfair. Tim, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mac. 
Now, before we go, I want to share a listener email we got in reference to Monday's discussion about the U.S. women's soccer team, equal pay, and World Cup earnings. Johnny G. from Charlotte, North Carolina writes, The women's U.S. soccer team is obviously much better than the men's team, and I can definitely get behind an argument for their pay in the U.S. being more than the men's due to how much better they are. Having said that, I can't buy into the argument that was made on the show yesterday about the FIFA pool of money. Tim actually made the comment that it was, quote, utter nonsense, end quote, that the pool of money was more than 10 times higher in FIFA for the men than the women. All other things equal, that does sound ridiculous. What was not mentioned on the show was the fact that the men's tournament brings in more than 40 times the revenue of the women's tournament. That has to be taken into consideration, and it was completely ignored on the podcast. Considering that, the women's pool of money is actually a larger percentage of the revenue it brings in than the men's. I'm unclear as to why that's utter nonsense. And then Johnny goes on to write, love the show. I've been a listener from the very beginning. Very rarely is something said that bothers me, but it frustrates me to no end when someone completely ignores such a huge part of the story that would counter their argument. Johnny, first of all, thanks for listening and thanks for writing. That is a great, great point. We should have mentioned the disparity in World Cup revenue when talking about the disparity in earnings. Context is a beautiful thing and we should have provided more. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.